Have you read the regulation law, the the actual statute on how the hike safe card works? I have not, uh, but and we can get into that. But it is funny. Like I was the reason I asked that. Like how bad did it get on social media? Is because Stomp. I don't know if he, if I. Oh, I think I covered this actually in one of the shows. But I had reached out to George, and I kind of knew that he was gonna he was gonna keep me at arm's length to start with. Um, but I was like, you know, you should come on the show and talk a little bit about your perspective because I think it'll be interesting. Um, and I think initially you were, you know, and I don't blame you. You were sort of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be. The other thing that I was hesitant about too, and I kind of still am a little bit, is the fact that you guys have all the editing capability. I got none. <laughs> so if there's something that I right. say that you don't want included... No. I do. <laughs> Mike has none. It's <laughs> all about me. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was another reason that I wanted to sit there and talk to you and fill you out for us a little bit. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, um, you know, we, we usually cover this offline, but typically the way that we handle guests is we'll send you the um, the edit from the the show, and then if there's anything you want pulled out of this or, or change or recut, we're happy to do it. So we're not. Yeah. Um, hopefully we won't. We, no, we have no plans to do any shenanigans. Yeah, that's for although sure. I don't. I don't know about Stomp. No, I, so, the only thing I edit are Mike's ums and like very cool, very cool and uh, deep dive. That's what I cut out of the uh, the program. <laughs> <laughs> I have my my vocal <laughs> tics. So broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. So Stomp, we're on episode 30, so we're into um, midlife at this point. Yeah, the pups are catching up with the old timers really quick. Yeah, yeah. I th- <laughs> I think to start off with, I got a couple of questions that we I wanted to just, I guess, get uh, an update on your cat. You said that your your cat wasn't doing so well. Yeah, status quo. Yeah, she's she's on her on her way out. Sadly, um, we're making yeah. her comfortable, but I think the conversation is uh, definitely heading towards uh, veterinarian intervention at this point. Yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that. I think time marches on, kids. Yeah, yeah, and you know, because this is happening, it's kind of motivated me to. I'm going to get you a copy of one of my favorite books that I, I had growing up, and it sort of ties into, you know, loss and, and the pain of losing a cat. It's called the um, 101 Uses for a Dead Cat. Have you ever heard of that book? No, I have not. <laughs> You've never heard of that? That's an right, amazing I'll, title. Yeah, yeah, it's 101 uses for a dead cat, and um, it's it's this sort of cartoon book where it's just it's 101 different ways that you can use a dead cat. So there's like um, a pencil sharpener, you can turn it into a pencil sharpener, um, and there's a bunch of other things in there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll oh link that God. book in the show notes, and oh, great. hopefully your cat will hang on. But I, I just the cat lovers in the audience will appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully Mrs. Stomp doesn't kick my ass after hearing that. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you'll hear from her. (laughs) Have you been out on any rescues recently? I feel like we're in like a ridiculous cold spell with like no rescues going on. Zero on this side of the whites. I've never seen anything like it. Literally zero. I've not seen any 
reports. I've not had any calls. I've heard I've heard nothing. No anecdotal stuff. I mean, I mean, even the last week or so, I think you, you have any theories. I don't. I really don't. Maybe the educational part of the, our broadcast is actually helping. <laughs> it could be. Could I be. hope. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. And I know typically, so I we're going to talk about um, some search and rescue numbers tonight. And typically what I've seen for the way that rescues flow is that like it usually is sort of a steady increase from May up until about September into October, and then it slows down. But maybe the slowdown is just a little early this year. I can only imagine. Even volume-wise this weekend, it didn't seem as uh, dramatic as prior years. I was through the notch today, and it wasn't too bad. Yesterday wasn't too bad. You know, the foliage is definitely maybe 25% just past the notch. So we have Columbus Day coming up. You know, th- that weekend is always crazy. But, uh, yeah, no explanation for the quiet. Ooh, ooh, I said it again, damn it. Sorry, everybody. Yeah, yeah, don't say the quiet word. <laughs> but, I, I mean, my theory possibly, you know, we have... Um, we have a guest tonight, so George, um, you can say hello for a second. Hey, how are you doing? Good, Glad to good. have Thanks you. Thanks for joining us. But we were actually just talking before the we hit record. Is it could be that there was like this flood of people that came up last year that you know aren't avid hikers but got into it because there was travel restrictions. Maybe some of those people that were like flooding flooding the uh, the whites last year. Maybe they're 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 down in Boca or doing some other trip now that we're back to. <laughs> Some somewhat normal travel. They all moved to Sweden and Norway. Yeah, could be apparently. Could be. But um, so, Stomp. Any uh, anything you want to share with sponsor or coffee news? Uh, there have been no coffees lately, but um, it's only been like a day or two since we recorded last. So, oh, that's true. Don't that's worry, true. it's not a dry spell. Um, yeah. But yes, we want to thank our. Sp- Sponsor at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch. Many 4K footers and less than 10 minutes from the five corners that I saw today in person. I had a look myself after the last episode. And it was hard to see two of the corners, but I figured it out. It was cool. Um, My lovely bride and I went to Reckless today, and we actually sat down and um, had a few beers and we did the uh, Franconia bike path, so it was really cool. No hiking, but just a little bike riding. And uh, fall has set in on the notch. It's beautiful in there right now. It's really nice. Um, that's all I got for you. I tried the Yippie Kaye, which apparently is Ian's master brew from when he first started making beer. And that was like an 8% alcohol content. Like, whew, it was a, an ass kicker. And then... Uh, it, oh, by the way, that's a double IPA. So yes, I've actually okay. had an IPA against all my okay. uh, my fretting and everything else about uh, about IPAs. It was actually really good. Awesome, yeah. And just for the audience, just so that we don't get called out, we are still in September, so sober October doesn't start for another <laughs> few days. <laughs> yes, yeah. Thursday night is the the drop dead night. Friday, exactly. Friday the first. Um, so one thing before, so I want to get into the show summary in a minute here. But George, you you were able to do something cool last night or yesterday. You went to the the North Woods Showdown, which was a it's a softball game between the New Hampshire fishing game and the Maine F- Warden's 
group. Is that right? Yeah, no, that was a, it was a great game. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you want. Yeah. I don't know if you want me to tell you the score or whatever, but it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually who won? Uh, New Hampshire five to four on a walk-off single. Hell yeah. I'm, I'm a main guy. So the game ended in a walk-off. That's, that's interesting. But (laughs) yeah, we were thinking about getting a crew down there, but uh, it just didn't happen. So next year, some of those guys really impressed me with how athletic they were, like specifically like Ben Venuti, the shortstop. Some of the plays that he was making a shortstop, I was just like, whoa. Hmm. How was the environment? Did they have like big screen, like camera footage on cameras and all this other stuff? Or was it just pretty cozy and intimate? I didn't see any cameras in there at all. They weren't really showing any replays up on the big screen or anything like that. I'm sure Northwoods Law was filming somewhere, but I didn't see where the cameras were. Well, that's a good time. It's good good to know that our NH boys won. <laughs> How big was the crowd, George? I'd say that stadium was probably half full. Nice. So, so the Northwoods showdown game was, was this weekend, and I guess New Hampshire has the – they've got the, the bragging rights this year. So Maine yeah. will get it back, I'm sure. I'm team Maine. Really? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Just because, I, I, you know, my relatives live live in Maine over New Hampshire, I guess. I have an update. One last update before we move on okay. from our prior episode. Uh, Steve Mason, Mason Adrenaline, a.k.a., uh, just banged mm-hmm. out the back-to-back Pemi and Prezi Loop nonstop yesterday, which is a Saturday. Quote, he goes, <clears throat> I dropped my car in Crawford Notch and got dropped in App- at Appalachia. Did a Prezi Traverse in six and a half, no, 6.75 hours. Drove okay. to Lincoln Woods and did a Pemi Loop in 10.75. So combined time, seven, 17.5 hours. And uh, yeah, that's pretty epic. So he back to back. Yeah, yeah. And he's resting well at this point. That's, that's pretty impressive. So there's all kinds of these super athletes out there in the woods in New Hampshire going, going crazy at this point. So I don't know. I think those, day, those days for me are well, well gone. But Steve, congratulations. And it's very impressive. Yeah, you know what's great about Steve? I, I was thinking about it after the interview the other day. <clears throat> he's just not pretentious. I mean, he's, he's doing this for himself, and he's not after the, the fame and the, the whatever else, uh, the glory. He just does it for himself, and I really appreciate that. Uh, he's a, a great guy. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah, he's He definitely is just out there. Um, doing his thing for the love of the activity and you know we try to i think we we want to get a balance on the show like i i I remember when we had beth lynn and mindy on like one of the things i had said is that you know i feel like the ultra athletes you know they sometimes they suck up all the oxygen in the room when it comes to getting the press and the the media and the accolades and you know we're trying to have like a balance of you know just regular hikers and then if people are out there doing extraordinary things and they're um you know, they've got an interesting story. We'll have them on. So mm-hmm. slashers hiking topic of the week. All right. So, uh, so tonight we are excited to be joined by our friend, George. Um, he's here to discuss, um, you know, his, his perspective on New Hampshire fishing game and funding and, uh, and hiking in general. Um, so we're going to, step a little bit outside of our world of hiking and try to 
look at the big picture around funding for fish and game operations and hopefully learn a little bit about some of the other areas of focus for fish and game outside of just search and rescue. Um, George is going to be here tonight to give us a perspective of someone who is passionate about outdoors activity, but he's not solely focused on hiking. Um, he will you know, cover a lot of um, you know, his perspective from somebody that is not into hiking but is keeping a close eye on fish and game activity. So should be a good discussion and hopefully we will all learn from it. And then later in the show, we've got some fishing game news that we have to catch up on. We haven't covered anything for the last few weeks. So uh, we'll get squared away on, on the, the most recent rescues. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Very good. Very good. So Stomp, I guess we already did the beer talk. I have, no, I have nothing to add to that at this point. So, yeah, me neither. Um, move right into recent hikes. So you, have you done anything? No, no, I, I swapped my boots for a, a pair of <laughs> bicycle wheels today, which was great. We try to do the uh, the bike path once a year, and uh, it's like nine miles. Uh, we start at Skookumchuck, which is just north of Franconia Notch, and then end up at the Flume Gorge. It's sort of a, a car-spotting nightmare because, you know, you got to drop cars off everywhere, and, and you're packing bikes, and the bikes don't fit in this car, then, you know, it's it's logistically challenging but uh it was a good time and my uh my stepdad's really he's like hey why don't you just do an out and back i'm like hell no are you kidding me we always start at skook because it's all downhill like 80 percent like yeah exactly yeah yeah he just doesn't get it uh there's no way i would go southbound north if i could avoid it like yeah we just wanted a nice easy relaxing bike ride with views not an exercise uh adventure so if you do it, yeah, no, that's go southbound. It's yeah, glorious. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend those trails along Franconia. I, mm. I haven't done, I haven't been on there a lot, but I've I've ridden them a couple of times. Like uh, I went to, I did that White Mountain Triathlon with uh, Jimmy Chaga and a few other folks. Um, Chaga, um, Chaga, um, Chaga, um, Chaga. And we we all rode on those trails, and then I've been. I think I've taken the kids there a couple of times. So it's it's a great and exactly what you did is that's the way to do it. Is if you can car spot, just start up by Skookumchuck and then yeah cruise down. That's great. It's so great, yeah. especially with the foliage. Ooh. Yeah. So I um I haven't been out at all, Stomp, but I am. I'm heading back up next weekend, and I'll be up the next few weekends, and then I think I got a I got a weekend plan for the long finish hike so probably i'm going to be looking at like the 16th 17th so i'll i'll coordinate with you to figure out logistics on that okay sounds good yeah definitely keeping me in the loop yeah and george you're not a hiker but have you been out outside at all doing any any good adventures uh not recently no nada no you, th- you think we could ever convince you to do a hike sure i go into the whites on occasion but i go up there for different reasons than you guys i don't go up the mountains i go and I look at a map and I pick one of those thin blue lines that in between, and mm-hmm. I go and I go down fly fishing on those because there's a whole bunch of uh, native trout in there. Oh, that's awesome! Got it. Well, not native, but wild. And we've actually talked about that. Some remember we had the uh, when the the body was found in Sandwich Notch, and you had even said that too. You had said like the most likely scenario on those is that hunter. It'll be a bushwhacker. Or it'll be a hunter, or it'll be somebody that's looking for some crazy fishing spot that's going to make their way through those areas. Bones everywhere, people. <laughs> Bones everywhere. 
<laughs> exactly. So, so Stump, do you um, want to start off, before I get into a deep dive with George and, and give the audience sort of the background on why he's here tonight, do you want to get into some details around fishing game? Because just very quickly, George is going to give his perspective around um, how fishing game is funded. And at a very high level, ATVs pay a fee. Um, hunt, hunting and fishing, they have their license fees. Mm-hmm. And you know, from George's perspective, there's a, there's a bit of an imbalance where from a, hi- a hiker's perspective, like we don't pay any fees. We have a hiking parking pass that we, we pay, and then we have a voluntary hike safe card. So you know, from his perspective, and, and again, we'll get into this and let him say his piece, sure. you know, there's an imbalance there on how um, – you know how things are funded, but I figured before we get into that discussion, can you give a little bit of detail around your understanding about uh, the history of fishing game and, and a little bit about the funding? I'll try to keep it fairly brief and succinct. Um, back in 1865, we had the beginning of what we know today as the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department. It was originally a commission of fisheries that was uh, basically giving given authority to enforce game laws. Every city and town was directed to hire their own game warden. In 1890, the New Hampshire Commission of Fisheries and Game hired the first state fish and wildlife enforcement officer known as a fish and game detective. Interesting, right? Yeah. They were paid like two fifty dollars a year, and these early detectives were hired to prevent crust hunting or the killing of deer in deep snow. So I think moving forward, you have to understand that this was a town-by-town, city-by-city directive from the state. Legislative sessions in 1914-1915 changed the name of special fishing game detectives to state game wardens. Their salary went up. Um, At that time, there were about seven state game wardens in 1915. Um, And you have to understand, like, seven game wardens for an entire state. That's a lot of terrain to cover. In the 1930s, they started wearing uniforms, and um, you had about one warden per 1,000 square miles to 500 square miles, like huge territory, like I mentioned. 34, 35, oh my God, the, the list of things they do is amazing. It's like with hatchery personnel, feeding stations for game, songbirds, searches for lost persons became more um, of a frequent occurrence. Suppression of forest fires. So the agency's tasks and responsibilities grew over the years. In 1935, there were 26 conservation officers. So, of course, that terrain that they would have to cover uh, became a lot easier to manage. In 1964, they started to own state-owned vehicles. So that was the beginning of the, the big green trucks. And you know today, you see them yeah. driving around in their trucks. In the 60s to 70s, you saw the introduction of snowmobiles, the whole snowmobile culture. So that's when their numbers rose in rank uh, to cover thousands of miles of snowmobile terrain. So they became very involved with um, management and uh, law enforcement with snowmobiles. And now currently there are 40 conservation officers today, and now they're dealing with ATVs, uh, the OHRV uh, phenomena, which is amazing. So they, they've got their hands full. As for funding, you have 
three primary modes where they get funded. The first one would be the licensure fees, and that is, you know, it's like a dollar fee collected for each boat, snowmobile, ATV. Of course, you have the fishing and hunting licenses, and that was originally meant to cover their costs. But what happened over the years, you had the rising cost of rescues, search and rescue activity, and they existed in a budget deficit for many years. And um, they do receive a very small percentage of money from the state for state funding, the general fund from the state, and that's like 3 to 6% of their budget. Okay. It, when it comes to saying, well, we're already paying taxes for fish and game, it's a very small percentage. So most of their money comes in from the, the, the permits and everything else. Yeah. To cover the cost of uh, the search and rescue, they came up with the hike safe card. And since that started back in 2015, I mean, they're starting to break even now, from my understanding, um, a couple hundred thousand a year in sales. So that's covering the, the expenditures that they, they blow during rescues. Do you know how parking fees come into play? Is, is that a separate... Well, here's the deal with that. Line? That comes in later when we talk about the question of, like, what are the solutions? U.S. Okay. Forest Service is federal. They collect the parking fees. So this is Fish and Game Estate. Yep. So this is the jurisdictional issue. You have towns, you have cities, you have the state, you have feds. There are so many different jurisdictional boundaries and things. That, yeah. You know, there's only so much you can do. So <laughs> I'll touch upon this later, but I think it's absolutely genius what Fishing Game did with the hike safe card. Because how else are you going to cover the cost of rescuing somebody in the U.S. Forest Service territory? You can't charge somebody... Uh, or or set up a license system for a different jurisdiction. That's my understanding of it. Hmm. The U.S. Forest Service is already getting their parking passes and whatever else. What is it, five bucks for a parking or something yeah. like that? Fishing game can't charge people for federal property. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So the workaround uh, that they came up with. I didn't think about that. Well, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I was thinking about it today while I was riding my bike. <laughs> uh, so yeah that's my understanding and that's my take on it so you their workaround was the hike safe card which is genius like who came up with this idea they can they can come up with a way to make revenue but it's not impeding or impinging on the federal property and structure yeah yeah and this i think probably this would be a good time to transition to welcoming George and giving a little bit of background about how um, we connected with George. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. So George, again, welcome to the show here. Um, before you get into introducing yourself, Snop, I don't know how much I've given you as far as background goes, but I want to just sort of give some background on um, you know how I became aware of George and um, just how I got to know him a little bit, and George, hop in if if if, I, if you have anything to add here. But basically, because of this podcast, even before this podcast started, I was tracking search and rescue data um, just out of a, a, a 
motivation of being curious about what the actual volume was because we used to hear on social media all the time that like anytime there was a search and rescue you would hear the same people uh, the same thing from people where they would say like rescues are getting out of control it's nothing but people from massachusetts coming up to new hampshire and getting in trouble so i have for the last three years captured every media um search and rescue event um that's posted and i just have a sort of a list of of the details, you know, where the how old the person was, their gender, um, where they're from, and then I have like that, you know, that shame, no shame rating, and some other stuff. So most of the time, what I do is I just have reminders for the fishing game um, social media accounts, like mostly Facebook, where I'll get, you know, I'll see an event and then I'll share it in the the sounds like a search and rescue social media pages, and then you know people will typically have comments and, and opinions on the fishing game site, and it's always kind of funny because every once in a while you'll have people that'll get into arguments or you know they get really judgmental about the search and rescues so george started popping up i don't even know george how long have you been sort of on the face the fishing game facebook pages oh i want to say i started commenting back in i want to say march sometime around there oh yeah so within about five minutes of george starting to comment he became like um pretty well known on on the, (laughs) the fishing game um so i would see george on there and a, a lot of, you know, before I even get into George, like just you just have to understand that like there's there's a lot of not only hiking but SUV rentals, and um, even with COVID last year, there's a lot of tension between what I call the locals and people that are sort of the fly-ins. Like I'm, I would consider myself somebody that's just sort of traveling up to Maine and New Hampshire. I got relatives up there. Um, but you know, there's always that, that sort of tension and, you know, George, whenever there was a rescue, he would ask like two, two main questions. He'd be like, you know, um, did they have a hike safe card and are they being charged for the rescue? And George, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, but I didn't get the sense from any of your comments that you were ever sort of disrespectful or, um, you know, you were persistent, and I think that that persistency in your questions rubbed a lot of hikers the wrong way. But that's basically how I became I, I I became aware of George, and I don't even think he was purposely. Maybe he was. And I don't know. Let him speak for it. But like he he was pissing off a bunch of hikers by asking those questions, and I actually thought it was kind of funny because people were getting all fired up, and eventually, like I need more a core context. Group of hikers that are in. Yeah, and there's yeah. a core group on in the the search and re- the sounds like a search and rescue page that are you know they've been around forever and they you know they don't uh, you know they're 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 pretty vocal and they got on George pretty bad so so that's how I got to know him so I figured it'd be pretty funny to get him on here to kind of talk through his perspective and Absolutely. I actually think he, you know some of his points are really valid so I'll shut up George and you know if you want to hop in and introduce yourself and and I guess give your perspective about what motivated you to start digging into this stuff. All right. Um how do I start even If you go into like the history of conservation in this country and who has funded it like for the last 100 years since they started do- doing the hunting and fishing licenses. Mhm. Pretty much almost all conservation, and this is nationwide, has been funded on the backs of hunters and fishermen. I mean, right. to the point where license fees 
And then add in like, if you go down, like, I think there's like almost a 10% tax on like ammunition and guns. There's a mm-hmm. tax, an extra added tax for all the fishing equipment and boats and everything else. So we've been paying and funding all conservation efforts, even if they don't have to do with hunting and fishing. For out-of-staters as well as in-staters. Yes. So when I sit there and I look, and just to give you a perspective on the fees in New Hampshire, um, I have fishing licenses in both New Hampshire and Massachusetts. My non-resident Massachusetts fishing license costs me less than my New Hampshire resident fishing license. The prices for resident fishing licenses for New Hampshire and the three states that border us in order, Maine, $25. This is for a resident, if you're a resident of these states. Massachusetts, $27.50. New Hampshire, I mean, sorry, Vermont, 28 And then you jump way up to New Hampshire at 45 Within the last couple of years, the New Hampshire one has jumped like $10 in the last like maybe three years. I have a question about that. I, I, from what I understand, the, um, the amount of sales have decreased. Do you think that's less hikers and fishermen or is it because of the, the higher costs? Well, if you sit there and you look like when they were, if you go back the century, like I was talking about at the beginning, hunters constitute presently constitute about 4% of the population nationwide. Fishermen, it's about 14. Years ago, those numbers were way up higher, so they were able to get more sales to kind of balance it out, but those numbers are declining. So we're on a non-sustainable path, the way that we're presently funding everything, to keep it going. Got it. Like you're eventually, you're just going to price everybody out from even going out and doing this stuff which is not the route that we want to do. Got it. So then they have, a, they have a certain amount of revenue that they've gotten used to operating on on an annual basis, less, less people signing up for or um, purchasing fishing licenses. That basically requires them to either do a marketing campaign to increase the number of people fishing or just increase the fee so that they can close the gap on the revenue that they're going to lose. So they probably just choose to just increase the fee. They, they all, yeah, they all, they already do a bunch of marketing campaigns and everything too. There's fishermen and biologists throughout the state that do like the fun to like take a kid fishing days. They have like free fishing days during the summer. I usually one or two that they advertise that it's usually on a Saturday. New Hampshire says you free fishing, you don't need a license. So you're coming at this from the perspective of sort of a basic issue of fairness. It's not only that, but over the long term, they're going to, the way it's been funded, that the numbers are decreasing, they're just bumping up the revenue by offsetting it somewhere else. It's just not sustainable in the long run. They're not going to be able to do everything. And if you also think about it too, like we're all outdoorsmen. Like we all want the conservation portion taken care of, but there's stuff that fishing game does that's not really for hunting and fishing either. They're going over like over, I think I saw an article that they put up there. It was over in like great Bay and like the piping plover or some, some bird or over there that has nothing to do with hunting and fishing, but it's on like the endangered species list. So they, or not endangered species possibly, but it's protected. I think the numbers are protected. 
they're so they're trying to redo the habitat and re get the populations up and everything else for them. So I mean that doesn't have anything to do with hunting and fishing yet. We're the ones that are getting our backs broken. They're leaning on us in order to fund all of this. The best argument that I can give you for why you may want, and I don't think it's right or wrong. I just think it, it just is what it is, is I think likely the reason why there's more focus on regula- heavy, heavier regulation and fees on hunting and fishing is because when you look at it in comparison to hiking... We consume more of the resources. I get that. Well, I don't even know if it's consuming more of the resources or if it's just that it's sort of tied to the resilience of the resource of the activity. So hiking, you know, obviously, like if if you if we saw a significant increase in search and rescues or if there was forest fires blowing up pretty significantly, those are sort of the short-term impacts that could could hurt hike you know could could search and rescue or our fishing game could say you know now we we have some short-term challenges and we've got to regulate this and put some controls in place i think with fishing and hunting they don't have as much of a um tolerance there because you can do you know if you if you don't regulate it enough with fishing like you could very quickly find yourself where in a situation where resources are taken up and, and it could take years and years to, to, to fix that. So maybe that's one of the reasons why they put more of an emphasis on fees. But it's an interesting point that you raise because regardless of that issue or that explanation, what you're basically saying is that, sure, keep, keep raising the fees on hunters and fishing. It's not going to solve your problem. You've got to find other revenue streams, and hiking is an obvious one where you could potentially increase your your funding. Essentially, I mean, if you look Got at it. other, uh, um, have you done any research into what other states are doing because of this issue? I so I am familiar with the Adirondacks, and my understanding is is that the in New York they have some sort of a. Um, a hiker, hiking license, but I don't know a lot of the details. I'm very, uh, I'm not well read up in, in other states other than I just am familiar with that New York case. I know Colorado right now, they actually made it because of the way that they're set up. I guess it's like state, tr- state land trusts. So they have to, it's, I don't know the way I understood. I don't know if it was owned by private people and they lease it from them mm-hmm. in order to let people go through. But they were saying that due to the increase in like the hikers and everything else, it was doing damage to the habitat and everything the fishermen and hunters were paying to upkeep. Yep. So Colorado actually is, I don't know if they actually passed it or they're in the process of passing it or if it's already there. But I read an article that it's Colorado and they were making it mandatory that if you were even to go in there, to hike that you had to purchase either a hunting or a fishing license to help pay for that upkeep because of the residents and locals got fed up with it. Okay. Yeah. So you're talking about upkeep, upkeep of trails and maintenance and things like that. And then there's, um, habitat restoration for animals. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, they're destroying the habitat and they were trying to restore the habitat to what it was. I don't see how this is sustainable and I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain it so that we can try and like as a group work together to try and find a solution that works for everybody. 
Mm. Like, I'm not here to like argue with you and say it has to be this way. That's not me. Mike, you said Maine. Maine has got this portion right. If you go back and start looking at history books and the history of Atlantic salmon in the Merrimack River and the Connecticut River, if you go back into like the 1800s, they will sit there and tell you that you'll see reports that the river used to glow silver. It used to shine silver. There were so many Atlantic salmon coming back in. We don't have any anymore in New Hampshire. None. And this is one of the things that I said that what I what a part of what I wanted to put the money towards to get this right is Maine is trying to do it right and they're actually starting to have a little bit of success with it in the Penobscot. And what they did was is they went and they started removing the dams because the salmon have to come back up the river to get to their spawning grounds. And if they got the dam in the way, they can't get there. They historically have tried putting in the fish ladders and everything else, but they don't really work the way that intended. And the other animal, that the other fish that's in there, that they're in the Merrimack River, but you don't really see them in New Hampshire because they can't get past the dams of Lowell and Lawrence, is there's, believe it or not, there's sturgeon. I have seen hmm. photos of sturgeon, like eight-foot sturgeon being caught down in mass on occasion. Really? Yes. University. Yeah, because I live I live on the Merrimack, and I'm I'm in Amesbury, which is right by Newburyport, so I'm closer to the mouth. But um, I, and again, I'm not a big I'm not big into fishing, but I'll ask some of my friends that are bigger into fishing if they've ever seen or, or caught any sturgeon in this area. But but I am curious, like how long have you been fishing? Like what is your what is your background when it comes to fishing? Oh, my dad started taking me when I was like two. Okay, I've been doing it my entire life. I fish year round. Got it. You do freshwater and ocean. I- do some ocean fishing. I'm like an hour and a half from the coast, so. Okay. I go out there probably like twice a year. Other than that, I go on the charter boats, and those things aren't really worth it because NOAA, which regulates the ocean fishing, is they're pretty messed up. <laughs> they basically went and they limited the codfish so that you couldn't keep codfish on the charter boats. But what they're not regulating is the draggers. They go out there and drag the big giant draggers that just drag the ocean floor. Those mm-hmm. things are awful. It basically it's drags along the bottom. And it ruins the whole bottom wherever they dragged. And they just come up and they pull up everything. There's no size limit to it or whatever. It's the equivalent of me going out in the woods here. And cordoning off a one square mile area of the woods, going and shooting every living thing in that one square mile, and then decimating and chopping down all the trees. That's pretty much what the draggers are doing in the ocean. Yeah, and they still let them do that uh, close yeah. to the uh, close to land. Really, I don't know about close to land, but they they still do it, and they do it like most of the charter boats. If you go out. You're going out like an hour and a half ride. You're not seeing land. Yeah, no, you're right. Because I did, as a matter of fact, I talked about it on the show, but you know, I don't know, probably about two, three months ago. I went out on the Hard Merchandise, which is a boat out of Gloucester that is on Wicked Tuna. Yep. And we did exactly what you're talking about. We did haddock fishing, and we caught like basically half of the fish were haddock. The other half were cod, and we had to throw the cod back in. And a matter of fact, one of the one of the guys that was the captain had even said he had talked about the fact that, that you know, you, you can only catch the cod um, by dragging. So 
it, it does seem kind of crazy to me that we still allow that in the ocean. But um, with your, so you don't do a lot of ocean fishing. Do you? Are you a lake guy, river guy? Like, what is your what is your your favorite type of fishing in inland? Um, I do a lot of fly fishing in the river. Okay. I got into I got introduced to it probably about ten years ago. I mean, I got a desk drawer in the other desk in the other room that has like drawers and drawers full of like feathers, deer hair, everything. I tie my own flies. Okay. And how long does it take somebody like if you get into fly fishing, how long does it take you to get proficient and, and really good at it? Um, I probably went about fifteen, twenty times the first year that I got into it. And I will say that the first year was probably an exercise in aggravation. Okay. And now I got to the point where if I go down to the river, I can typically catch more fish using my fly rod than I could my regular spitting rod dunking worms. Interesting. Now, have you ever got yourself in trouble? Have you ever needed like a like a, a, a rescue or have you put yourself in a situation where you're like too far out on a river and it's running too hot and you, you, you get in over your head? No, because when you go out there and you start waiting, if you got a waiting staff so you can kind of feel the bottom. And a lot of times where I'm going, I'm only going like maybe knee deep, maybe a little deeper. But I mean, there's sections of it, of a couple of the rivers that I go to that can get pretty dicey, especially where you have to sit there and listen for like, the, there's a couple of them that they'll release like water out of the dam. That's like a couple hundred yards up above you. And you'll hear the alarm and siren and you're like, okay, Having to go stand on shore and see what's going to happen in the next five minutes. Yeah, Stomp. Have you ever have you been involved in any rescues with 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 people fishing? Not to date, not me personally, anyway. No. Yeah, the only time I've ever heard of any sort of issues with people getting in trouble fishing was like, you know, they would capsize in a canoe or something like that. But it's pretty rare, honestly. Yeah, I mean, fishing game, that's their their jurisdiction. Yeah. If you look at fishing game statistics, they'll tell you flat out right that all search and rescue operations, only 11% total are from hunters, fishermen, snowmobile boats, and ATVs. Right. Got it, yeah. And I've, se- I've seen those statistics before. Matter of fact, I, can, um, I have a couple of reports that I can link in the show notes around the, the breakdown on the percentages. Um, but one of the things, George, I did want to ask you about, and we had talked about this, I think, over email before the show was, uh, and I'm always curious about this because I, I see this a lot about like cleaning plants off of your boats, and, and there are boat launch um, inspectors yep. in New Hampshire and Maine. I don't know, are those inspectors tied to fishing game, or is that a different uh, I don't organization? believe that they're tied to fishing game. I think it's into the individual lake organization. There's one that I go to, and I, I'm almost positive it's tied to the individual lake organization. And they'll have like an inspector, and they'll take shifts, and they basically inspect your boat. For like, um, the big one is milfoil. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. And basically what milfoil does is once it gets in there, it just sits there and it starts growing and I'll like choke out the bottom with like three or four feet of weeds. And what happens is, is it chokes out the oxygen in the lake. Hmm. And they'll have fish die offs and everything else because of this stuff. They do have a way to treat it from what I understand, but I don't know how effective it is. It's, you're never going to, I don't think you can really get rid of it completely. Got it. And then as far as the, and again, I don't know much about hatcheries. I know that there's a couple, I, I, I know there's one up by uh, Mount Cabot and then there's another one 
stomp. I think there was a hatchery down by that our, our little secret cabin place that we're not going to talk about, but um, sure, yeah. And I know there's one in Milford. Yeah. Do you know how those work? I th I want to say there's about a half. I want to say there's about a half dozen in the state. Um, they collect the like the roe, and then they basically sit there and grow them right from the egg, and they let them get up so big, and then they release them into the wherever the game wardens tell them to release them, or the conservation yeah, officer. Sorry. And from your perspective, are they like, it sounds like based on the, what you had talked about earlier, like they could probably expand the hatchery operations and fishing stock operations pretty significantly compared to what they currently do now? Um, well, they got rid of, they used to do an Atlantic salmon stocking program where they would stock Atlantic salmon, like the fry. I want to say the ones that they were stocking were like probably six inches long and they were stocking and trying to rebuild the Atlantic salmon population back up in the Merrimack and everything else. And they just couldn't. I think the problem is that there's a couple of dams in Manchester and stuff too. And I think some of them were getting chewed up in the turbines and everything else trying to get out. Okay. And they just were not seeing the numbers come back to warrant continuing the program. So I want to say they discontinued it a couple of years ago. Got it. All right. So then this is, so this is good. Interesting background. So, Going back to your your perspective then is you're seeing and traditionally there's been an imbalance where fees to hunters and fishing have typically supported all the fishing game and you know sort of supported it from the perspective of like doing them doing a lot of good programs, but there's more opportunity for growing those funds if we look at other other avenues, one of which is hiking. So you went on, you started going on the fishing game site in March and sort of pounding the drum to say like, look, these hikers are getting in trouble. You know, we have the hike safe program, but you know, a lot of people are not taking advantage of it. And I want to know whether or not these people are being charged and you meaning to or not ended up pissing off a bunch of hikers would can you i'm just kind of curious like did you get any like messages from hikers or like what how bad did it get from from a social media perspective oh i i got a couple of like people like you know how you reached out on me in a, on a facebook messenger yeah. i had a couple of them to the point where it was just so nasty that i had to block them got it got it like it was that bad I mean, there was probably okay. maybe four that it was like that. Um, the funny thing is, is the person who made the meme for me, yep. that you guys see that I, <clears throat> I actually met her at the ball game yesterday. Oh, nice. And the funny thing is, is her husband who was with her was one of the ones that actually jumped on me at the beginning. Yeah. And just talking like we have no issues. I don't hold grudges. I don't. Um, I honestly don't even like how the hike safe card works. Have you read the regulation law, the the actual statute on how the hike safe card works? I have not, uh, but, and we can get into that, but it is funny. Like I was, the reason I asked that, like how bad did it get on social media is because Stomp, I don't know if he, if I, oh, I think I covered this actually in one of the shows, but I had reached out to George and I kind of knew that he was gonna he was gonna keep me at arm's length to start with, um, but I was like, you know, you should come on the show and talk a little bit about your perspective because I think it'll be interesting. Um, and I think initially you were, you know, and I don't blame you. You were sort of like, yeah, I don't know, I don't want to be. The other thing that I was hesitant about too, and I kind of still am a little bit, 
is the fact that you guys have all the editing capability. I got none. So if there's something that I yeah, say I that you don't want included, no, I do. <laughs> Mike has none. It's <laughs> all about me. I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was another reason that I wanted to sit there and talk to you and fill you out for us a little bit. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, um, you know, we, we usually cover this offline, but typically the way that we handle guests is we'll send you the um, the edit from the the show and then if there's anything you want pulled out of this or, or change or recut we're happy to do it so we're not yeah um, hopefully we won't we no we have no plans to do any shenanigans yeah that's for although sure. I don't I don't know about stomp no I, so, the only thing I edit are Mike's ums and like very cool very cool and uh, deep dive that's what I cut out of the uh, the program <laughs> <laughs> I have my my vocal right. tick so. <laughs> Can, can we can we go back to how the hike safe card actually works? Yeah, let's and what do it. it. Covers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have you guys read the statute on that? Yeah. Yeah, I have. We you did have. A, we did we did an entire episode on uh, Mr. Bacon who go, who was rescued and he was billed and he went to court. The Supreme Court uh, found. Yeah, we did the whole thing. So we're aware of it, uh, but go for it. Because it's right. important for listeners to know how it works because it doesn't cover you all the time. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm, <laughs> I think it does cover you all the time based off the wording in the statute. And I think any good lawyer worth their salt could argue it as well. If you read into it, it says that they can bill you if you are negligent and require rescue unless... You have a fishing heist license, hunting license, ATV, boat, snowmobile, or hike safe card. If you have the hike safe card, it actually covers you if you're negligent. It also has down in there and it says it refers you to some another RSA. I can I'll email this to you, I'll send it to you all these links afterwards, Mike. Okay. That way you can look it up. But it also says uh you can be billed if it requires and it sends you to another rsa and if you look at it the only thing in that rsa that says is if you recklessly right. or intentionally cause an emergency response so how i kind of well define negligent versus reckless and intentional the way i read it is i can go up there unprepared mm -hmm. and need rescue and i'm covered if i have the card mm -hmm. unless i'm johnny knoxville and the crew of jackass going up there doing stunts exactly <clears throat> then I think you're in the reckless and intentional portion. If you have clever attorneys arguing what those definitions mean, they can p paint a whole other story. So there's a lot of wiggle room in that statute. So oh yeah. So the bottom line, <laughs> the bottom line is it's not a hundred percent guarantee. No, it's not. Depending on what happens within a court. That being said, if you are walking down the trail and you twist your ankle, no fault of your own, you weren't being an idiot then yeah, you're not going to get billed for that. No, you shouldn't. Yeah. But I think it's important to remember that it's um, it's fishing games mandate and their job. So I don't think they have the mentality where they're going out saying, who are we going to bill next? Let's get, let's bill them, let's bill them. It's just not going to happen because this is their job and this is their mandate by the state. And this is the way the organization was set up. And, and I do have to mention this, um, I mean, apparently in 2011 to 2015, they made legislative attempts to correct the uh, the budget deficit that they were running, but it failed. So we got to talk to our representatives. Why are they not getting funded for these activities? I mean, 
talk to your reps. I mean, I think they're trying to take the burden off of the hunters and everything else. And I think so far it seems to be working. And um, I think it's early yet, but I think um, a lot of that pressure that the other um, licensees have felt will be easing from what I understand. I mean, I think this hike save thing's really taken off. So the last numbers that I had, it stopped at like 2018. That's what I could find on Fishing Games page. Yeah. And... It was saying that the cost of rescues was like three hundred and eighty thousand, and the hike safe card was only generating like a hundred and forty or something, roughly around there. It may be upwards of two now, closer to two. So I, I guess in the prospect of trying to search for solutions and not, I was told that there's no signs for the hike safe card or anything at any of the trailheads. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that is... Could it be just an advertising problem? And that we need to... Could we work together? Would you be willing to work with me? And we come up with a sign that we want to post, and I will personally go out there with you guys, or we can draw up maps and say, and you give me a map of where the trailheads are, and say, these are the ones that I'm responsible for going and posting the sign up to advertise the hike safe card. Would you guys be willing to do that with me? I'll be willing to market the hike safe card as, you know, within whatever legal bounds there are. I don't know about putting signs up on the uh, on the trailheads or whatnot. I think that's a discussion for fishing game, but is there is there a trailhead sign there that shows you like the maps and everything at well, the Well, there's front? better than that. There there's is the trail and typically stewards. those those Yeah, there's the trail stewards and then you're right. There is typically a they call it a kiosk. And I think in most of those kiosks, there is advertisement for signing up for hike safe cards. Mm. But I think what you could probably think about doing is maybe getting into the retail stores, you know, getting into REI, getting into EMS, getting into some of the places in Lincoln and North Conway um, to be a little bit more aggressive about um, signing up and even doing, you know, billboard signs. Uh, You know, maybe you could get a benefactor or something to you know do some billboards to say like hey if you're hiking you know sign up for the hike safe card to help fund you know fishing game or whatnot so i think there's you're right george there's a lot of opportunity there um you know i'll I'll do whatever i can to to help get the word out for sure yeah because the other the other thing that i saw and i don't want to go down this road road i saw somebody else trying to and in one of the other states out west trying to push a quote backpack tax (laughs) <laughs> well ba- it's basically like you know how they have the tax on like the fishing equipment and the hunting equipment they wanted yeah, to put it yeah. on there to help fund for the conservation effort and get rid of it, get rid of like the hike safe card and you're talking like two percent sales on it like that but it's like every other tax once it's there it ain't going away it's only going to go up so i'm not sure yeah, i yeah. want that mm. But I'm just saying that's other things that other states and stuff are talking about doing and trying to push for. So, so just so that we're we're clear. So, from your perspective, this is not, you know, I think on the surface, I think if you asked a lot of people about George on, you know, as as he's on the fishing game Facebook group, I think that it was very easy for people to just sit there and say like, oh, this guy hates hikers. Um, he's got, you know, he feels like he's paying for all the search and rescue and he just wants to point out their hypocrisy. But that's not where you're coming at this from. You're coming at this from the perspective of 
fishing game and conservation has a whole world out there that they've, they're responsible for. It has to be funded. There's an imbalance in the way that we fund things, and there's an opportunity for us to, to look at solving that imbalance. We can, we can keep punting it down the road, but regardless of whether or not we, we punt it for years and years, eventually something has to be done because it's not sustainable. Eventually, yeah, something does have to be done. It's not sustainable. And it, it's not – and I'm not trying to pick on the hikers because, I mean, there's yeah. other things that go on uh, between, like, camping and mountain biking and everything else, too. Even the snowshoeing and cross-country skiing, it's still the same thing as far as, like, you're damaging the habitat somehow, whether you realize it or not. Um, that was one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about, too, and I had mentioned this. You know those stone, like, pillars that people make? Yeah, the cairns. The stone structures. Yes. yes. Oh, my God. They're officially, yeah, they're officially known as cairns. And the main purpose of those are, they are authorized. And the main purpose of those is that they're to be used as um, trail markers above tree line. I don't know, Stomp, is there any... Any regulation, or and, and if you go into the Forest Service, like they have these regulations around how to build these and what the purpose is on them. I, I've yeah. seen it a couple of times. I saw one that was sitting on a riverbank, and I yeah. was like, I was kind of furious about that one. And the reason I say it's on, on the riverbank, when you sit there and you go into the river and you start getting in the etymology of the rivers, if you start removing those stones, the stones are where the bugs are that hatch and everything that the trout feed on. I'm sure. So you're disrupting the trout's food. So this all comes back to education. So are we doing yes. doing enough to educate people that are coming up hiking via, you know, hike safe? And I think I think, you know, the big national organizations like REI, AMC, the trail stewards are out there at the trailheads telling people as much as they can and i think fishing game fishing game definitely is involved with hike safe i mean that they along with the forest service created that and um we within uh volunteers search and rescue teams are pushing it as hard as we can and i guess it's sort of a difficult calculus to figure out how much it's helping but um there's only so much you can do i don't know what else you could do for education but that that whole cairn building thing is is part of that. Like people just don't understand. No. Oh, well, the other question I was going to have you is on where you're on search and rescue. Do you guys do any programs for like the newer hikers as like hiker education classes? Because like if you go and buy a hunting license, you'd have to go through a hunter education course. Is there like a hiker education course that you guys could offer to like the new people to like educate them on? how to be safe up there and like i mean basic skills like map and compass reading we we do stuff like that for our members maybe to a higher degree but it's not our mandate we are we are strictly there to help fishing game with searches and rescues that's it so we do reach out and oh, I'm not i'm not saying it should be mandated i'm just saying it's like somebody like offered a course like that that might help the oh, situation oh I they're out there they're out there for sure like within okay. the hiking community, yeah. they're out there. But it's just a matter of how do you get these new hikers to understand that those resources are available. It's, I think it goes back to the same thing that we're talking about earlier with like advertising. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and a lot of this, I think, the I continue to circle back around to what we had talked about initially is I think the biggest opportunity you'll have when it comes to hiking is at the parking lot, quite frankly, and putting in sort of some sort of a regulation at the parking lot level, Stomp. But it goes back to the jurisdiction piece that you talked about is, you know, could the state work out a an agreement with the federal government to have some sort of a you know a fee structure at the parking lot um i kind of like it you know i i love the the old envelope you know five dollars in the envelope and slip it in the green tube and then move along but i just wonder you know are we going to move to a future where you know we've got kiosk where you've got to put in your license plate and purchase sort of a, a day use pass or something like that you know is that is that a way to close the gap in the future i don't know i've looked i've looked to different um states and you know even as close as maine like think about what katahdin's structure would do at uh, lincoln lafayette trailhead like you need a permit i see that being a benefit in terms of the, the trail maintenance, the preservation of the trails, the ecology, and less crowds, right? Maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's being overrun right now. How do you how do you limit that? Do you do you make people get a permit to go up there? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but... Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. And, uh, you know, who, who knows? I, I think at this point right now, like, I, I've been doing this for eight years, and I don't think other than... You know, other than I think that I've just become more personally aware of the entire sort of hiking culture and some of the the, the political issues around it, uh, the the sort of the the parking pass situation and the um, you know hike safe has grown a little bit, but it hasn't grown as much I think as as it should. There hasn't been a lot of change significant significant change in the last ten years that I've seen. Mm. Yeah, we got to get a hold of the uh, the bus driver down in Boston that's taking everybody up to Falling Waters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I heard, yeah. saw that post. I cringed <laughs> yeah. when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Same. Oh, that's another thing, George. I wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, you can either confess or you can explain. Do you hate Massachusetts people? No. Liar. I work in Mass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I work in Mass. Yeah. So I deal with them every day. I, it just... I don't. I didn't make that meme. If that's what you're referring to. No, no. I was just actually believe it or not, the person that made the meme. I'm almost positive that she lives in Massachusetts, which is the funny part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, and the reason I always ask is because <laughs> I think that there's folks that live in Mass that get, and I used to get a little sensitive, and I actually it it was it was difficult for me during COVID when. Um, you know, when tensions, I think, were at their heights between, you know, can I get in my car and drive an hour and a half and never see anybody and go hiking? And like, you know, is that the right thing to do? Yes or no? And I think that there was those tensions. But I always kind of joke around about the tensions between New Hampshire and Massachusetts because it's, first of all, it's funny. But also, I th- I, I think that I've read a few people just sort of say like, oh, he's just a local New Hampshire person that just hates anybody coming in out of state. <laughs> he just wants to have the whole whole state to himself. And I just wanted to give you a chance to get that out there. No. Cool. Changing subjects for a sec, George, you had brought this up, and I, this is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about, um, mountain lions in New Hampshire. I know that they're there. Have you seen them, or do, what do you want to say about that? I haven't, I haven't seen them. 
I have okay. a couple of friends who are hunters and they have. <laughs> okay. Do I know that they're there for sure? No. My my thing my take on that and fishing game will probably get in a freaking uproar for this one is they will go out of their way to tell you that they don't exist because mm -hmm. if they do now they're on the endangered species list mm -hmm. in the state and now they have to go out and it's another strain to their budget yeah i've heard that before as well and i'm on like i'm on a couple of social media groups and it's always it's always somebody posting a picture of a bobcat and they're like yep. i saw a mountain lion I'm like no that's not <laughs> um look for a two-foot tail well, yeah. what about um like the fear uh, that that would instill in tourists <laughs> knowing that there were yeah. mountain lions out I, there you know what i actually had an experience i was in the navy and i was stationed out in washington state for a year and a half mm -hmm. and i had gone down and was hiking down i was going down fly fishing to catch salmon out there and i'm hiking down there and i get down there i'm standing in the river fishing and I hear a gunshot and I didn't know what was going on. And about five minutes later, a guy comes out of the woods, looks at me and he goes, Hey, he goes, you're welcome. Go for what? And he goes, shot a mountain lion back there. He goes, he was, <laughs> he was literally sniffing and walking and following your footprints. <laughs> Tracking. <laughs> that's oh, awesome. Well, that's what they say about mountain lions is that you will never see them. And then they'll take, they'll take you out before you even know what happened. Pretty epic. Good way to go, huh? Yeah. Hopefully, I won't be the. Hopefully, I won't be the one to see him. So, all right, George. So, so George, this was good. So, I think just to summarize this again, you know, you don't hate hikers. You're you're not out there just looking to cause trouble. You have a legitimate perspective, and I think that if people can sort of step back and look at this from a holistic perspective, that you know, we have to fund conservation efforts, and we can't just rely on a shrinking pool of fishermen and hunters to continue to pay those fees we didn't really get into atv and uh boating registration uh, registration but i think those factor into it as well but we should be if you're a hiker and you're concerned about the idea of like a some sort of a uh, license to get access to the outdoors it's not just a sort of a punitive damage thing for you know to benefit hunters and, and, and people that fish that feel like they're they're getting screwed over it's more of a let's look at ways to raise revenue so that we can all benefit benefit and look at improving our conservation efforts because we're doing a good job now but we could be doing a million times better if we all looked at increasing funding and in, in, in programs exactly let's try and put it back to what it was even a hundred years ago because it's not the same especially like get rid of the dams on the rivers they just oh, that's yeah. Like I said, Maine is the one state, and they started doing an experiment with the Penobscot. And they're actually, it's the Penobscot River is the only place in all of New England that actually has Atlantic salmon coming up. The only one. How would that work if you got rid of the dams? Like, because I'm assuming that, that you would lose the ability to control flooding. And if we got hit with like a crazy wet season, like that, that could cause a lot of problems, couldn't it? It all flows into the ocean. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know enough about it to know if it's it would be damaging. I th I thought I thought the dams were put there to hold back water for more drought reasons, 
which we've been dealing with the last couple of years or yeah. holding back the water table for like a lot of these places like Massabesic and Manchester is huge. That's the public water supply. Yeah, I, I just don't know enough about it. Can I make an interesting observation? I'm looking through the uh, the New Hampshire Fishing Game website just at the latest reports, and um, I think in general you never see hunters and fishermen in trouble, although we did have that one hunter that slipped and fell and hurt himself uh, just like a week or two ago, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah it was a couple, couple weeks ago. It was in Pelham. Yeah, yeah 9.15. Yeah, yeah we're going to cover I, that. I didn't read what how he actually got hurt. For all I know, he fell out of a tree stand or something. <laughs> but I guess my... my you don't know. Yeah, but, <laughs> I don't. I don't think it even said. Well, I think he slipped on a log or something basic. You know, just you know, benign. Yeah. But um, it, interesting observation. There are just within the last month, probably more ATV and um, you know off-road vehicle accidents and incidents than there were hiking incidents. So it's, that's an interesting trend. You look at where those are happening. Oh, of course. Oh, same locations. <laughs> same locations are, 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 are those are those same locations the same ones that do all the rentals do all the what oh yeah the re- rentals oh, yeah the it's rentals a, oh i, I see what you're saying yeah there's been a rash of um atv issues with you know tied back to the rental business hmm. those have come up in the last couple of years is my understanding interesting but in terms of resources it's like you know the the fishing game only only has so many officers and if they're all getting tied up with atvs and everything else um, they're gonna be i don't know maybe shorthanded or uh less able to take care of their fundamental duties on the ecological front like the fishing and whatever else yeah i'm, I'm trying to think of the last time in new hampshire that i actually had a f- conservation officer come up and check my fishing license uh, somebody checked jimmy chagas <laughs> Just yeah, recently. Yeah. Well, I always joke about that. Um, whenever you watch a Northwoods Law episode, it'll be like, <laughs> you know, oh, this person, like, you know, they, you know, they they were drunk driving and killed seven people on a boat, and you know, we'll let them off with a warning, but the, like, anytime they yeah, show the on TV that they, they get a fishing license, they're like, you're under arrest if you don't have your fishing <laughs> license. <laughs> I, you, actually, you know what? The last last time I got checked was three years ago. It was up at the Meredith Rotary Ice Fishing Derby. It was Ben Venuti who came strolling up on me in a snowmobile. <laughs> I felt so bad for him that day because it was like oh, 10 man. degrees out in the lake, and it was probably like a 25, 30-mile-an-hour wind. I'm like, how are you surviving? <laughs> oh. Well, this is interesting. I mean, this it's tough, man. You're dealing with uh, politics and political structures and everything else. It's complicated. And like a, a dynamically changing scene because even you know since COVID started, the, the trails have been overrun, so God knows what it's going to be like next summer, and uh, I've never seen anything like it. There's just so many people on the trail. Oh, I, I got a good friend of mine. He works at a fishing hunting store, and he said last summer, he said it was the best year that they'd had in 20 years. Yeah, crazy. So You I- couldn't find anything. Like I, like I said, I was trying to find a kayak for my kids last summer. I was searching everywhere. Yeah everywhere i finally found two and bought two yeah but it was like in like mid to late september so it's making the world a better place all these people are coming they're enjoying the outside they're getting on the trails there's hope for humanity. and that's just it i don't want to discourage that from happening yeah 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 go outside go outside i mean it's a lot better than trying to fight with my kid about getting them to put the damn video games down yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I'd ra- much rather see him outside. The it would be very. I think everyone should get a hike safe card if you're listening. Buy a hike safe card. I got a feeling anyone that's sort of into this show is mo- most likely going to have a hike safe card. But you know, buy those. But I wonder, you know, could you have a scenario where you have a kiosk there that is strictly for hike safe, and it's you know one of these newer, slick, you know, solar powered thing where it takes a credit card and you can just voluntarily say, um, you know, sign up to 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 take a hike safe to get a hike safe card. I, I bet you, you know, who knows how much like a equipment cost would be to start off with you know maybe it's a hundred grand to put the equipment up there but it probably would pay back significantly then again i don't know if these machines can survive like a new hampshire winter <laughs> i'm not sure it'd be even be cost effective to put them up there but i mean just to I sign know, it like, i mean everybody's got their damn cell yeah. phones on them now anyway that you go up there i mean yeah, at the yeah. trailhead you probably still got some reception that you could go right on there and buy it right then yeah but this is good stuff, and um, if everybody would just leave, don't send George any mean messages over Facebook <laughs> Messenger, please. It, it's it's been a few months. He's ne- yeah, all right, well, good. I think matter of fact, I feel like my vibe is that like people are sort of starting to come around to you a little bit, and you're you're prime. I even get a sense you might be even coming around to us annoying hikers a little bit. So, um, you know what? Like I said, the person that made the meme, they actually we were talking to them. I was talking to them earlier. And- uh, my girlfriend and I are thinking about going up and going for a hike up there at some point. I just got to let my foot heal right now. Nice. Well, don't push it. But, uh, no, this is good stuff. And uh, Stomp, anything else before we move into search and rescue news? No, I think that was a great chat. It was a lot of, a lot of ground covered and um, some unanswered questions. But, um, you know, honestly, I really feel strongly that if you want to see some change and some action, you got to get a hold of your representatives, for God's sakes. You know, these people, we, we elect these people, like, tell them how you feel and make them be a voice for you. That's the only thing that will make change when it comes to these issues, so. Yeah, yeah, so. That's the way it's supposed to work. Get involved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's New Hampshire. You can basically, like, I feel like to be a state rep in New Hampshire, you just have to, like, get one neighborhood to vote for you when you're in, so. Um, (laughs) Good luck getting something done when you're in there, but anyway. Yeah, who knows? I think the other problem with the state reps even if you run and you get it, I don't think that the pay they pay you hardly anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so you'd like have retirees to have retirees and people that just can. You'd have to have like a secondary business, like you run a law firm or whatever, and then you just all right, you guys are good, or business owner and you own a couple of hotels or something like that. Mm. You'd have to almost like be independently wealthy the way that they have the system set up. Like the average person like me cannot go and run and get a state rep and make enough money being a state rep to live off of it. You have to have some other type of income. Speaking of that, I just want to mention one thing. Like I I had heard rumblings just briefly. Um, Another potential solution. Why not increase the lodging and meals tax? Because that would cover out-of-staters that are going hiking and whatever else. Instead of the hunters and the fishermen, how about increasing some other taxes to cover these shortfalls interesting thought yeah yeah could do that it's it's goes back to the one that i was talking about before with the whole taxes like not why not the backpack taxes is one of those once it's there it's only going to go up yeah. i'd rather not see it <laughs> i hear you brother i hear you and i'd rather have it funded someplace else <laughs> well what about the toll booths in maths that they said they were going to take out yeah. <laughs> They're still there. Oh, I yeah, just—they just finally. It's like the ones on Route Three in Merrimack. 
they go through Merrimack. Yeah. They left the one. Uh. They finally got all, they got the one where you cross in from Manchester to Nashua. Yeah. And then exits 12 and 11 don't have them, but exit 10, which has that new outlet mall still has it, but it's the only one. Mm. It's the only exit. Once you hit on route three on the mass coming from mass, there's no tolls for the first eight exits. (laughs) There's no exit nine. There's a toll at exit 10. Then there's no tolls at 11 and 12. And then there's a toll going into Manchester. Ah. Like, why is the one there still at 10? Huh? Yeah. Well, someday we'll figure it out and say no more. I used to work at Fidelity in Merrimack years ago, and I do not miss that drive. <laughs> so, but I remember, I remember that road. But uh, this is all good stuff. So I think, um, Stomp, let's move into we – just, we just have to do some catch-up on search and rescue news. We haven't done anything in the last, I think, two or three shows. And there's actually not a lot going on. So We start off with the hunter. Yeah, so September 14th at 11.30, 33-year-old um, gentleman, gentleman from Nashua, New Hampshire, was, uh, um, I guess, out hunting. He had fallen and sustained a leg injury. All it says here, like George, you just talked about this, is that he stepped on a log, causing him to lose his footing. In Pelham. I think a lot of times when you see this stuff, it's a wet log. He hit it at the wrong angle, and he probably just went down. Um, but he was like 200 yards from his vehicle, so I guess he was able to just – a conservation officer was able to get out there and just help him get back to his vehicle, and then he, he drove himself to a uh, medical center in Derry. So hmm. pretty easy one, right? I guess. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Probably bad enough to not be able to walk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um this one, this next one here was from September 13th, and this was um, Andrew Scoggin Search and Rescue and Lakes Region Search and Rescue on Rattle River up in Shelburne. So that's way up there. Yeah. Yep. You know, inside baseball, this has prompted a little minor discussion about territories and, uh, you know, volunteer team geography and stuff like that so yeah yeah so rattle river that is that is so this is one of my favorite trails we talked about this like rattle river is a great trail because it's this sort of flat entrance or it's a flat approach for the first two three miles it's a part of the appalachian trail um so when you get through the whites it's basically the end of the whites when you come from um Mount Moriah and then head out um so this person i'm assuming was coming in from rattle river and got hung up. You can either hit Mount Moriah or you can hit Mount Shelburne Moriah. So this person was not far from the junction of the Kandusky Trail, which is, again, where you basically can go left or right to go to Shelburne Moriah or to Moriah. So call came in at four, and there was a couple of good Samaritan hikers that came in and and helped this gentleman, 68-year-old New Hampshire resident, and they gave him some extra clothes, kept him warm while he was awaiting a rescue, and they got to him around four o'clock, or they. The, he called in at four. Rescuers got there around seven, seven thirty. They packaged him up in a litter, and then uh, he was on his way out. And I think they, I guess, they got to the trail around eleven. So the, I think the last two miles, there's a there's an Appalachian Trail shelter, and it is pretty flat and easy going. But I think that he was just a little bit past that that easy part. So they probably had a little bit of a job to do to get them down yeah and looking at the at the numbers they had four teams to carry the litter 
which is great. So they had a good rotation of people. So that always makes the work a little easier. Yeah. And the nice thing about that trail is it's wide too. So it's not, I mean, down towards the bottom anyway, it's nice and wide, easy grade. So it's, it's not a bad trail to get rescued on. Mm Mm-hmm. And Castle in the Clouds. The next one. Yeah, Castle in the Clouds. So <laughs> Castle in the Clouds, this is Epic. Um yeah, Lakes region, Ossipee Range. Basically you can get to a bunch of different uh mountains here and it's 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 actually a great area, but it's just the, this is like one of these weird rescues where it's two groups of hikers hiking separately and they both both groups end up getting lost. And instead of them finding like where they need to go, they found each other and they formed like a lost hiker super group to combine forces. <laughs> and then they ended up getting rescued together. So um, that's awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Super yeah, group. It's pretty funny. So they, um, yeah, and it doesn't say where they're from, but it's it's a bunch of young people. And I guess it sounds to me like basically there was one hiker that got lost. And he was wandering around, and then he stumbled on a group of young people, uh, five young people, so 20-year-olds, 18-year-olds, a couple of minors. And that group of five was also lost. So they were attempting to hike for the summit um, to for sunset. So they were basically like, we're going to get up there and watch the sunset. But they forgot oh one critical God. piece of safety equipment. Do you, do you know what that might be, Stomp? Yeah, I'm reading it. Can I read it? Because it's just yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. Ahead. It's a the group had attempted to hike to the summit for a sunset, but had forgotten flashlights. <laughs> uh, to be young and and, <laughs> and carefree. <laughs> but thankfully, they decided to stick together and call for help. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love it. Oh my god, this might be a shame. Yeah. Is this a shame? I think this is a shame. Anytime there, so George, just so you know, I, I typically will sort of give a rating to say like, okay, this is a shame or a no shame, and like the, not having a headlamp when you're going for a sunset hike is just it's it's an automatic shame. Although I will say they're young people, so I I definitely give a little bit more leeway to the young folks, and you know they'll learn their lesson and they have a good story to tell, but. I, yeah, I, the funniest part about this is like that—the the, the fact that there was another hiker out there that was lost as well, and they just combined forces to be lost together. I'm trying to put myself in uh, CO Benjamin Lewis's shoes as he's writing this. He's sitting there at his laptop in his truck, going, "The group had attempted to hike to the summit for sunset, but had forgotten flashlights." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> to be a fly yeah. in that. Ford 250 oh. or 350. Yeah, yeah. And, I re- and I've been reading these for the last few months, and uh, first thing, I'll read them, and then I'll just think to myself, oh, no, what, George is going to have a field day on this. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God they got out. I mean, if this had, take this scenario and put this four weeks out from where we are now, now you're talking a huge group of hypothermic people that are very likely in big, big trouble. Like, thank God it's right now. And go, yeah, my God, people, come on. 10essentialshikesafe.com 
educate yourself. Tell people you know that are going hiking to do the same because it's important. You can get really in big trouble out there real easy. Yeah, yeah. We're getting to the point where it's the end of September now and the margin of error can be... This is it. Um, significant, yeah. You can you can get screwed with hypothermia now, yeah. so don't, don't mess around. For real, today was the day I said to my wife, I'm like, I got to get my pack ready for winter. Like, this is it. This is, today was the day for me mentally where I was like, okay, it's, I'm, I'm, forget shoulder season. This is, this is winter time. And, and looking at the low ceiling up on the Franconia Ridge today, there was no, you couldn't see anything above even Eagle Crag up in the notch. So it's time people get ready. Nice. Well, but that's all we got. So it's been slow for search and rescues. Hopefully it stays that way. And, George, thanks again. I think um, hopefully I know that, you know, it took a little bit of sort of back and forth to to pull this together. I'm psyched that it happened. Hopefully you had a good time. And I'm going to um, put together the show notes and I'll uh, I'll share some of the reports and the information around uh, what we talked about in, in the show notes so that people can do their own research. And, you know, maybe somebody will listen to this and they'll get motivated to try to really push some change. Mm. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, it's been, been a great. pleasure. Yeah, especially like to get the viewpoint from fishermen and hunters. I think that's fantastic. Thank you very much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.